It's Tuesday, May 26th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me from a safe social distance, Mr. Jason Moser. Good to see you, my friend. Good to see you. Uh, we've got footwear news. We've got a lot of automotive news, and we're going to start there with Hertz, because just like we saw with JCPenney in retail, uh, what had been rumored for a while is now official. Hertz Global has filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection. Uh, the New York Stock Exchange is going to delist the stock. And this is, uh, I don't want to set this up as, wow, this was an <coughs> unbelievably stable company from a financial standpoint to begin with. But just when you look at the speed with which uh, this stock went from the low 20s to its current price of $2 and change, um, this, this is a swift end for Hertz Global. Yeah, I mean, it is. It was. I would say that this was kind of just the icing on the cake, really. I mean, this was a very challenged business before uh, the the COVID nineteen pandemic hit, and that and that certainly accelerated um, its its demise. I mean, it, it's it's obviously accelerated uh, the demise of many businesses, but I mean, Hertz was in was in a, a challenging. It was in a challenged position before this. I mean, sales essentially flat. They were taking losses left and right. And they've also been plagued by management upheaval. I mean, they've they've named they named its fourth CEO in six years just this year. And so, you know, the one thing I always think about when you see sort of a, when you see a revolving door like that with with leadership, if you, if you don't have a leader in place that's been there for a while, you don't really have the opportunity to try to see around any corners and perhaps take the business in a new or additional direction. I mean, that really is one of the the great virtues of, of, uh, of tenured leadership there is they have a good grasp of the business, but also the market that they're pursuing and, and how the company can respond to competitive threats. I mean, it, it, like I said, I mean, before the pandemic hit, I mean, Hertz was still a business in trouble. I mean, this just hastened, really. I think what was inevitable, as we've seen this, you know, the whole travel industry change with with companies like Uber and Lyft, and and just this this need for rental cars, maybe not the same that it was before. So, I mean, it's a shame. I mean, you certainly never root for this kind of stuff. It's it's a brand I think we all grew up with, and you remember those commercials of O.J. Simpson running through the airport leaps and bounds. I mean, I can still remember that just as, as if it were yesterday. Um, but, but I mean, clearly, this is a business that was not able to think about the challenges that were, that were uh, approaching, and, and they were not able to figure out a way to pivot or, or evolve. And, and ultimately, you know, this bankruptcy was just inevitable. Shares of Avis budget up 15% on this news. I was a little surprised at that. I realized that, look, if uh, one of your competitors, no matter how challenged they are, like Hertz was a competitor, if they go under, yeah, that's good for your business. I was still a little surprised to see that pop in Avis budget's stock because I thought, look, that's... <laughs> the, the, it's this is not a great environment for any of your businesses. It's not, and and I mean this this isn't really a great business even in even in the best of times. I mean the cost of doing business for for companies like these are, are it's expensive. I mean you're talking about gross margins in the fifteen percent range even in good times. So I mean I mean you can see that that gross margin. I mean we're talking about earnings which trickles all the way down to the bottom line. 
it, it's always just going to be a, a tough margin business. I mean, the cost of doing business is really high. There's no real loyalty. I, I kind of like in these car rental companies to airlines, there's no real loyalty. Um, people just want something cheap that works. And uh, it kind of takes... <laughs> It kind of takes me back. Now, this is a family-friendly show, Chris, so I'm not going to completely go off go off the deep end here. But you remember back in the day that Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, the movie with Steve Martin and John Candy. I mean, you remember what transpired when Steve Martin was trying to get that rental car, right? You can give me a Datsun, a Toyota, a Mustang, just four blanking wheels in a seat, right? right. That's kind of what we're seeing, I think, with these car rental companies. There's not really any loyalty there. I, I, I liken them to airlines in that regard. And, and you know, even before I moved up here to, to start working at The Fool 10 years ago, I was, I was working with Travelers Insurance, and, and I was in the auto claims department there for a year. And, and I was astounded by, number one, the amount of car accidents that happen on a daily basis. But then number two, the business that these insurance companies give these rental companies is just amazing. I mean, if your car gets hit, you need another way to get around. I mean, it was kind of automatic business from that point. So, it kind of showed you the opportunities there, at least with these car rental companies, to take advantage of partnering up with big insurers like that. Uh, but, but all in all, that's just one avenue of revenue. And it's not really growth, right? I mean, you're not rooting for an environment where we have more automobile accidents. And it probably could be argued that in time, as technology gets better, we should be able to bring that number down. Um, but I mean, you know, this is a business where the, the the thing that really stood out to me on their income statement it was not revenue growth, it was not how how well they managed their earnings, it was the net interest expense. And expenses are bad. And we're talking about you know from six and a half percent in 2015 to eight percent of total revenue today, and and that's a lot. And they were they were free cash flow positive. The last time they were free cash flow positive, that was 2016. It's not even close after that. They've got a debt to equity close to 14. So I mean, when you when you combine all of this together, I mean, it's just a really really difficult business to run. I, I would certainly not make the leap that because Hertz is going to be going through this, that that Avis is going to be some massive beneficiary. Because remember too, this is Chapter 11. I mean, Hertz is still going to be able to try to figure out a way to do business going forward. Granted, it may not be one that you want to invest in, but it's still going to be a, a force out there in that market, uh, which which I, you know I think continues to make this just a difficult space for investors. It's great, you know, if you need a rental car, but but as an investor, I just I, there 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 are better places to look, in my opinion. Last thing before we move on, Hertz owns more than half a million vehicles. Isn't it reasonable to assume that part of this process is them going to be selling some of those off, reducing their fleet just a little bit? And, and, and where I'm going with this is I filled up uh, my car 15 days ago, and I took a very short drive yesterday, and I looked, and I've got three quarters of a tank left. Yeah. So if that keeps up, <laughs> one tank of gas is going to get me through two months and this will lead into our next topic in a second here but i just i don't know it really seems like for consumers who are either looking for a new car looking for a lightly used car i mean uh, i i think the the last car i purchased uh, the one that i just filled up uh, i'm pretty sure it was a rental vehicle beforehand and it was <laughs> you know and it was in good shape yeah. I, I don't know it just seems like if you're looking to get a, a used vehicle, you're going to have even more options as a result of this. I would imagine so. I mean, I, I would certainly think 
to right size their capital structure. I mean, that they're going to be, you know, releasing some of those leases and some of those vehicles, and and that certainly does flood the market with more used vehicles. And and, and as we always say, economics at the end of the day rule. And and so when you flood a market with supply like that. You know, oftentimes, I mean, you're going to see a lot of competition just on the pricing side, and and that's great for folks looking for for lightly used cars. I mean, the nice thing, it usually, at least with rental companies, they do maintain those fleets pretty well, just because those cars have to always work. That's you're renting on the premise that my car is going to work, uh, so they typically take care of the vehicles and service them well. Um, it, it's it's really interesting to think about going forward how. Uh, how we use our cars because I, I'm with you. I mean, we, my wife and I both have our own cars, and I, I mean, I, I have not been taking my kids to school over the past few months. I've obviously not been driving to the headquarters for the last few months. I mean, I'm, I'm taking two weeks to go through a, a tank of gasoline. I don't think it'll always stay that way, but but I think you know we're seeing a lot of signs. Certainly out west, we're we're, we're seeing you know more companies embracing the work from home or work from other places. So I mean, it's reasonable to assume that maybe. Uh, people will be driving less. And, and if that's the case, then that probably means that people aren't out there demanding uh, to buy cars as much. And then that will have profound impacts on this market. The ripple effects are, are plain to see. Let's move on to AutoZone because third quarter profits and revenue came in higher than expected for AutoZone. Their same store sales weren't positive, <coughs> but they were still solidly better than Wall Street was expecting. Uh, to be an essential business, Chris. And I mean, this this is an essential business. I mean, they didn't have to close up shop for one day, really. Um, and, and to remember here, I mean, just, just as a reminder, this is the quarter that ended May 9th. So, I mean, make no mistake, I mean, this is a quarter that really did report uh, in the midst of this pain, I mean, these numbers do come from a lot of a lot of the the toughest times here. And with sales were relatively flat. Same store same store sales, like as you mentioned, down only only a smidge. I mean, that's got to feel like a major win for this company, particularly when you look at the carnage writ large in in our in our national economy. I mean, I I always have looked at AutoZone. And O'Reilly is they're they're the two big players in this space, AutoZone and O'Reilly, and it, it Advance kind of brings up the rear there. But it does feel like you could call AutoZone the Lowe's to O'Reilly's Home Depot, except maybe the disparity between O'Reilly and AutoZone is a little bit closer. Uh, they're two very similar businesses; they perform very similarly on the margin side, um, and, and and they they you know they do provide ultimately an essential service. I mean, that that's, you know, people, your car has to work and they have the consumer and the commercial side of the business. I mean, the omni-channel side of the business where, where there's ordering on, online or order online pickup at store still represents a very small percentage of their business. It's less than 5%. So, they do count on people coming into those stores and they didn't really have to close many stores for any extended period of time. They didn't have to whittle down their hours terribly substantially. Uh, they did note the chronology as the quarter went along, the first four weeks things were going well. Um, they they were up mid single digit same store sales. The next four weeks that was the greatest uh, or the first impact at least, uh, probably the greatest. Um, and, and they said that's when their same store sales really took a hit. But they did note over the last four weeks of the quarter they saw these stimulus checks actually had an impact on their market. I mean, consumers are willing to get back out um, and shop at a safe, uh, a socially safe distance. And, and again, I mean, they're providing they're providing things that ultimately we as consumers with cars need, and and consequently you've got a business that's still performing pretty well in a very difficult time. 
Yeah, and uh, again, to go back to sort of the the larger automotive environment, it really seems like we're we're going to be in this situation where people are. Let me put it this way: I wouldn't want to be in the business of selling brand new cars. I think I think that's going to be a particularly tough business over the next couple of years. When you consider the tens of millions of people who are recently unemployed, more and more people are going to be looking to get the most out of the existing car that they have. Um, if they're looking to buy a new vehicle, it's probably uh, going to be even more consideration for used cars. Uh, whether that's from Hertz Global or somewhere else. <laughs> um, and I think that, that businesses like AutoZone and O'Reilly and Advance are, are probably set up for a, a better next 24 months than they might have been otherwise. I think I think that's a safe assumption. I would agree with that. I mean, I, I, I do think that, I mean, for, for auto dealerships to, to sell new cars, I mean, I, I don't think that low rates are going to to necessarily stoke enough demand. I mean, you know, that's one of the levers they can pull is they can say, hey, well, you get this car, you can finance it over six years for 0%. And I mean, well, that's a no-brainer because you're not paying any interest. I mean, and you can pay it off whenever you want. I mean, so, uh, but but not a lot of people that, you know, not everybody's in that boat. Not everybody can do that. And so, then uh, you couple that with a market where there is a, a flood, likely a flood of, of used vehicles out there, um, and, and you're still going to be able to get them at, at very low rates, Folks who are in, in the market for a car are probably going to look uh, at, at that used market first. And folks who have cars like myself, yeah, I'm definitely in that boat. I'm going to get as much life out of my car as I possibly can. I mean, I, I really, I really want to you know, drive it until it just doesn't drive anymore. And if, if you take care of a car these days, I mean, much like technology, I mean, these cars, they last a long time if you take, if you take care of them. Uh, let's wrap up with Crocs because sh shares of Crocs are up nearly 10% this morning. Um, sales in March rose 14% compared to a year ago. And according to a report in the Wall Street Journal, Crocs is the only footwear brand among the top 30 brands that saw an increase in sales. That is astonishing to me. Is that, it? that only one saw an increase in sales and that the one that saw the increase was Crocs. Well, and then I think I read further that the only other one that even performed remotely close was Uggs, which, I mean, I, you know, Uggs? I, I, that, that seems, I don't, I don't know. Think you just, and I, I don't think you and I are the target market. Maybe Uggs. not. Maybe not. I mean, Tom Brady certainly seems to like his Uggs, Chris. I don't know. Maybe he's trying to get that out there a little bit more mainstream. Um, yeah, I, listen, I, you know, hey, Crocs. I, I was. I said. I set out on Twitter yesterday that I'm. I'm working on putting together a um, a basket of stay-at-home stocks. A presentation in a basket of stay-at-home stocks for Fool Fest uh, this year in a couple of weeks, which is going to be a virtual event, of course, and, and it'll be um, something where where we get to deliver a lot of different ideas and presentations and whatnot. Maybe Crocs. This is who knew. It's the ultimate stay-at-home stock. Right? I mean, like, who? You're at home. You're working at home. Who cares what shoes? You, most people aren't even wearing shoes. You know what I'm wearing right now, Chris? Now that we have the video component, look, I'm wearing my armor flop, my Under Armour flops, <laughs> right? Nobody cares about wearing nice shoes anymore. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess it does kind of make sense from that perspective. And, you know, the interesting thing, if you look back to this, I mean, this, you know, this company that's always had potential, never really seemed to live up to it. 
But but if you look back at their earnings call in April, it was really kind of fascinating to see e-commerce sales growth of 15.8% on top of 16.5% growth the previous year. That was their 12th consecutive quarter of double-digit e-commerce growth. And so, my point is, ultimately, this is a business really set up uh, to, to perform well when it comes to e-commerce. I mean, it, it's it's... You kind of know your size, you know. I mean, if if you have crop, you're not expecting too much out of them, right? You're not. Ex- it's not like you're looking for. You're not Cinderella, right? You're not looking for the perfect fit. It's just you're looking for something kind of like four wheels in a seat, Chris. You're just looking for something to shuffle around the house in. And, and Crocs does a really good job of that. And then they do an even better job of partnering up with all of these different sorts of content partners or or uh, sort of niche fan bases, whether it's Kiss. Or Kentucky Fried Chicken, or Harry Potter charms to attach to your shoes. They've really added this identity that you don't affiliate, I think, with any other footwear product. And so, while I myself don't own any Crocs, I'm not terribly surprised to see them performing well in this environment. I guess the big question is, will they be able to sustain it when we get back out? You know, are are we going to be are we going to be in is the new normal where we're always working from home or do we eventually have to go back to the office? And then furthermore, if we do go back to the office, do they really care what you wear at the office? I mean, like we're very lucky at Full HQ. We can wear Crocs at Full HQ and get away with it. Not every place you can do that, but but I don't know. Maybe, maybe, we, uh, maybe we see that changing here. Well, and I think to broaden it, yeah, this is, this is going to be a lean couple of years for anyone in clothing, footwear, uh, any sort of aspirational high-end brands, I think it's just going to be a rough road. Like you, you know, we were talking about this the other day. You really don't want to be in the business of selling men's suits, Ooh, or, or, no, no, or no. at least dress pants, because <laughs> yeah. because to the extent that you need to look good on a Zoom call, maybe you've got a jacket and tie. Maybe. Yeah. Um, it's it's probably a, a time to look at businesses that are focused on the waist up. And this is yeah. something we talked about recently with Target, with Target's latest quarter, where it's you look at the investments they've made in apparel, they didn't really pay off in the most recent quarter, but that is an opportunity for a business like Target. It is. You know, speaking of opportunities, I feel like this is really the opportunity for for me to go ahead and trademark the wardrobe mullet, right? We had talked about that, I think, a number of years back, that wardrobe mullet, where it's all business up top and all party down below, right? Because, you know, on Zoom, nobody cares what you look like from the waist down because they're not seeing it. Uh, I, I mean, I think there is something to that. And I think we're even seeing companies marketing to that. I mean, there are even items of clothing that are being sold that, that they're geared towards, you know, making you look better for that video conferencing workday. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, it, it does strike me as, as some companies are going to be able to really, they're going to be able to really embrace this time and, and make absolutely the best of it. Crocs seems to be doing just that. And it's a relatively simple concept, simple product. It doesn't sound like it's too terribly difficult to make. Um, and obviously very, very lightweight shipping. So, so I mean, their fulfillment costs are going to be fairly minimal, it seems, and, and, and the numbers reflect, I think, what is a, a pretty robust e-commerce business. So, I, I suspect we'll see them continue to do well. Jason Moser, thanks for being here. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. We'll see you tomorrow.